0: Well, I just have a couple of thoughts I'd like to share with you today. We're going to kind of, I would like to give you kind of a Christmas meditation that's on your outline there, and it's this, additional truths of Christmas. Um, Kind of reflecting on this over the last, oh, few days, uh, I want to ask you if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at a very familiar passage, Uh, but I'd like for you uh, to consider a couple of ideas here uh, as it relates to additional uh, truths about Christmas. It's interesting uh, to me, I'm an old guy now, and uh, <clears throat> that some of the truths about Christmas that I learned, there are sort of additional truths. <laughs> There's more to it. Um, I thought about <clears throat> the, kind of this uh, partial idea. Uh, I, I know you, we've all seen the, the manger scenes and like that, that Jesus was born in a, in a stall or a manger, uh, and that's been a truth that we've kind of uh, gone with. But the real reality is, is that uh, if you study the text a little bit and do a little history on this, that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's likely he was in a spare room of a relative. Now, you may not have heard this, but this is an additional truth. Remember, why is Joseph going to Bethlehem to be enrolled in the census that Quirinius had called for? And he's going to Bethlehem because it's the closest place around, right? No, why, why is it? Why does he go to Bethlehem? It's his ancestral home. The term that's used there for inn uh, is not the word that's used for hotel, motel, or a place for travelers. It really is a term that likely means, this is the additional understanding, a room in a house where they keep the animals. A room in a house, not a barn, <clears throat> but a room in a house. I, I always kind of grew up thinking they were just kind of in a barn and uh, they were where the animals were. But it's likely, if you will, the additional truth about it is that it was probably someone that they knew that had a room where they keep all their animals. Uh, it's, a ba- it's, not a, it's not the guest room, but it's a room where they keep their animals. Something else, an additional truth about Christmas. You do know that the three kings weren't there at the birth, right? <clears throat> Remember, we see that all the time. Uh, it's interesting, too. And they weren't kings. What were they called? Magi. You know what magi were? Magicians. That's where we get the word. These are people from the east who spend a good deal of time in astrology and some astronomy. But they're not kings. They're not we three kings of Orient are. They're magicians that are from the east that have seen the star. Uh, It's interesting. uh, couldn't be. It says later in Matthew 2 that when they show up they show up to the house. So it's not in this other room, so it's later uh, that the Magi come. I just some just I remember growing up as a kid in East Texas, in Kilgore, Texas, uh, where there is an oil derrick in every yard. Uh, it used to be the oil capital of the world. These people were so serious about oil, they drilled an oil well well through the floor of the bank. <laughs> That's a fact. <clears throat> in the bank. Uh, and it was considered the richest acre in the world till the Saudi Arabia fields came in in the 60s. It was the richest acre in the world of oil. And I have a vivid memory of being with some adults, and I just kind of packed it away. They were on these, all these oil, we had an oil derrick in our backyard. We had tank batteries uh, beside the church. I probably have all kinds of diseases because of all those things, you know, <clears throat> all kinds of chemicals in this, you know. Uh, But I remember riding around my parents and saying, oh, look at the lights. And I remember an adult, they shall go nameless, an adult that was so incensed because they saw some lights that said Mary X Mass. Oh, they were upset. Well, what they didn't know, and I didn't know either. I hadn't taken Greek yet, but uh, at eight, that what they didn't know was after the time of Constantine, the letter X was always the reference to Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't in, in some ways of taking Christ out of Christmas or xing him out. It was a historic sig, uh, a signet, if you will, of who Jesus is. And so there are all kinds of things I learned about Christmas over the years. Additional truths. That, and I want to talk about that a little bit today. These, these kind of additional truths about Christmas. So if you have your Bible there in Matthew chapter 1, I'd just like to look at a couple of ideas here. <clears throat> Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, he was found to be with, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, For the child which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to concentrate on. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God, with us. And so I'd like to look here, this passage, on some additional truths. Notice here in verse uh, uh, 21 here, when it says this, that his name is going to be what? Jesus. Now, this is a contracted form of Jehovah. It literally means Jehovah saves. Ye-sus. Ye is the, J-E is the contraction of Jehovah's name. And sus means to save or sozo. And so his name, Jesus, literally means he, Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. And also the other word that is used of him here is the word Emmanuel. Im is the Hebrew term or the idea of with, 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 and El, E-L, is again the contracted form of Jehovah. And so his name is Jesus who will save us from our sins, and it is the fulfillment of him, Emmanuel, God with us. I just want us to think about this. What does it mean? And I'll, I'll hurry along here. But what does it mean to be saved from your sins? I want to work two things out here today. And you'll notice here on number A on your outline, I think I've got this. To save us from our sin is the idea of this. I've got it on the outline here, is pardon. <clears throat> to save us from our sin is pardon. This is a pretty common idea. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of uh, need here necessarily uh, to go into any, a lot of depth. But when we celebrate Christmas, the additional truth is that Jesus not only came to be born, but he also came to what? <clears throat> die, or live his life and die in order to pay the pardon of our sin, right? So to save us from our sin. You might write in your notes here, this is the idea of saving us from the consequence of our sin. The consequence that 's an idea there, and certainly necessary that he 'll save us from our sins in terms of the consequence that we 've failed we 've sinned there 's a guilt debt uh, this idea now on your out, on your hand out there is this idea this is the idea, and uh, you know if you want to study this some more, one of the things I want you to do is look at it. This is really an understanding of Jesus his saving us from our sins is from the penal substitutionary understanding. This is the concept and the idea that's probably the most common in the church in the world today is that Jesus died in our place. He paid for our sins and because of that we can be forgiven, right? That, that, that's pretty common. I don't think I'm ter- uh, given any new territory here. I'm moving toward that. That, that the idea that penal, that's the, the penalty substitution, he's taking our place understanding that he saves us from our sin from the consequences of our sin. Forgives us. Keeps the debt from being having to be paid. And that's a pretty common idea. Let me give you a few verses. Again, you can relate to this. This is uh, certainly in the New Testament. It's found in Colossians two thirteen and 14. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It's also found in Hebrews 1, 3. Hebrews 1, 3. 1 Peter 2, 24, 1 Peter 2, 24, and 1 John 2, 1 to 2. So 1 John 2, 1 to 2. So the idea he'll save us from our sins. I think, again, most of us have a pretty clear idea what this means. It's pardon. It means that we've been forgiven because of that. I just want to distress you a little bit here, though, for a second, and ask you to consider something with me. Um, With this idea, and it's true in the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, the idea of Jesus saving us from our sin is that He paid the penalty of our sin at the cross. Right? We we, we understand that. But you know, uh, I want you to consider a couple of things here on this idea that maybe to have some additional understanding. Remember the understanding of additional understanding of uh, if you will of Christmas. If you have time here a so I want you to turn your Bibles there and the table of contents to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> that in this saving us from our sins, 2 Corinthians, in my Bible it's 1099, the page number, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. <clears throat> Just want to read this in your hearing and let you spend some time thinking about this perhaps, but this is this additional idea <clears throat> that um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 I want to start at eighteen, just because. Uh, don't we're here he goes in eighteen. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, this: God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Now watch this: not counting their sins they had committed against them. What? God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their sins against them. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This penal substitutionary idea that He died for our sins, He forgave us our sins, that's true, that's true. But here Paul is trying to say something to us about this birth of this child that God was in Christ reconciling us. To him. Us. To, not him to us. Us. To him. Not counting the sins. So I want to ask you this because I want you to consider something here. It's always fascinated me. And this is found in Mark, uh, Ma- Ma- Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 8. Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 8. <clears throat> Do you ever remember the story about the guy that was paralyzed and... Uh, his friends bring him to Jesus and they let him down through the roof and Jesus heals him. But what did Jesus say? When he first comes down he says, "Your sins are what? forgiven." Huh? Wait a minute now. Isn't this before the cross? Your sins I hear people talk about this story all the time about how Jesus did this, how great it was, but I don't hear many say, wait a minute. What is this? Wait, well, hold on here a second. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees flip out and say, who can forgive sins but God? Answer is clear. Jesus. And then he says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin on the earth, I say to you, get up and walk. What did Jesus just done? Forgave him. I want this to dig in a little bit in your brain. Is Jesus, the death of Jesus, all that's going on is the matter of pardon? Is that's all it is? It is the idea that when Jesus dies on the cross, we've kind of, in my judgment, we've sort of limited it towards just about forgiveness. And so when we read something like this, it discombobulates us a little bit. Can God forgive of His own? Can God, when faith is expressed, forgive? Now, I, I'm not suggesting this, that we forget about this. I, 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 wanna, I think I've got a couple of things on here you've got to see. You need to see this. What is so different here from prevailing re- religious rites is that in other religious rites, sacrifices are offered to try to change a God's attitude from wrath to friendship. In other words, when you look at the other religions of the world, when they make sacrifice or they offer payment, it is to try to change the God to change the God from wrath to friendship. The gods are not friendly. Opposite here is God taking the initiative. The picture of a human being placating an angry deity is not characteristic of New Testament teaching. Here's where I think we need some additional thought. If all we think Jesus saving us from our sins is pardon. We tend to think of God as some angry deity that's pouring his wrath out on Jesus. It gets locked into our brain. This, by the way, is quoted by a couple of church fathers, St. Jerome and Arnabas. Uh, this is a Dr. Tom Oden's work here, that, that this idea that this is completely different than any other religion in the world. This is not trying to get the deity to change from wrath to friendship. What is going on here? What what is happening when it says Jesus will save us from our sins? Is it just pardon? Is it just that? When you see that Jesus forgives people in his life before he ever goes to the cross. Before he ever gets to the cross. His kindness and mercy and love is saying your sins are forgiven. He can say that, right? He can do that. This isn't kabuki theater. He means it. It's real. It's happening right now. Why? Because someone puts their faith or looks to Jesus. Now, this is a little different. So here's what I'm trying. And I'm moving on here, I promise. Here's what I'm saying. These matters do not make our understanding of the cross unnecessary. I want you to get the wrong idea. These matters do not make our understanding of the cross unnecessary. They do make our understanding of the cross incomplete. They do make our understanding of the cross incomplete. There's more to Jesus saving us from our sins on the cross than the fact that he just pardoned us. In fact, I'll suggest it this way. That Jesus saving us from our sins is not to give us pardon. I agree that. It's this, to save us from our sin, power, power. There's an alternative understanding here of this, but we're, I'm going to have to plow quick. This is the Christus Victor understanding. The penal substitutionary understanding means that the cross is just basically about the payments being made, God is, God's wrath is satisfied, and now we can be forgiven. I want to suggest there's some additional understanding here. There's some additional truth here, and it's called the Christus Victor understanding. That when Jesus comes to save us from our sin, it's because he wages war against the powers of the universe. He wages war against the powers of the universe. In in the interest of time, I'll just tell you this way. Several of the church fathers in the first four centuries, that's what we consider the first four centuries, that the prevailing understanding of Jesus saving us from our sins is the Christus Victor understanding. It's the dominant understanding for the first thousand years of the church that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins by dying on a cross and experiencing the wrath and the power of the devil and all the powers of the world. And he kills death by dying. Jesus gets death by the throat and kills it. By his own dying. This is Emmanuel, God with us. You see, this is the death that is occurring. Watch this. I don't think I have this on your outline. I've got it here. Notice the language of the New Testament. What did Jesus do? To destroy the one who has the power of death. To destroy the one who has the power of death. That's Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 15. Second, this additional idea, to drive out the ruler of this world. To drive him out, Jesus said. I'm going to drive him out of here. Third, to destroy the works of the devil. And fourth, to disarm the rulers and principalities and powers. I'm just suggesting something here to us, that there is something additionally about this idea of not just Jesus saving us from our sins, if you will, by just some pardon. But Jesus saves us from our sin by destroying, by bringing his power against the power of the evil one. I don't hear this much. I don't hear us talking about that Christus Victor, that he's the one. He on the cross, in my judgment, cross, again, thoughts and opinions teach not necessarily across the bend, those across crossing community church. Listen to me. Listen to me. listen, be careful. This will change in my judgment the way you see God and the way you see Jesus work. What Jesus is experiencing on the cross is all the powers of the world trying to destroy him and coming against him. Because God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. His Father is there with him. Or you bust the Trinity wide open he is together with his father in this moment. That this idea of Jesus, and all I'm trying to say is this. This idea of Jesus saving us from our sins is more than just that we get forgiven when we sin. But there is something that happened with Jesus that broke the power of the world. Broke the power of the evil one. That Jesus comes in and one of the church fathers basically said it like this. He destroyed death by dying. His resurrection then becomes the evidence to the fact that he has overcome the final enemy. Notice there in 1 Corinthians 15 later when he says he will overcome the final enemy. Who's that? Death. Death is finally overcome. How? Christus victor. It's not just forgiveness. Oh, it's part of that. It's not just pardon, but he saved us from our sins because he has broken the back of the evil empire, if you will. He's busted up their power. He comes now as the victorious, resurrected one to say those powers have been disarmed. Right there, look, they've been disarmed. And it says there, if you go read it later, he made a public shame of them. How did he do it? Final thought. You know how he did it? Uh, Greg Boyd and others uh, go at this deal. There's all kinds of ideas here that are part of this, part of the church fathers. But Paul talks a lot about the secret wisdom of the cross. The secret wisdom of the cross is that the devil thought he could destroy Jesus because he was human. Gregory, Nas- Gregory Nazarias, one of the great, uh, one of the great uh, uh, church fathers from the east, said, it's like this, Jesus, now this gets a little crude here, I guess, but, it, but it gets to the point. Jesus was the bait that the devil took because he was one of us. He was fully human and fully God, and he took the bait And when he did, Jesus entered into the dregs of human existence, death, and took it apart. That's why the resurrection proves he has the power over sin. I'm not saying, again, that pardon isn't part of what we need to understand about this. What I'm suggesting is that Jesus, in solidarity with our humanity, experiences everything we have and saves us from death and corruption. We might consider this. We get a different view of Jesus, not just being tortured by some debt that he pays, but Jesus doing battle with the powers of death and the devil and defeating him. It looks different to me that Jesus is doing battle on the cross, not with his father, not with someone else. He's doing battle with all the powers of the enemy and the evil one, and he chokes them out by his own power. When I saw uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe you've seen it, the, the, the program or the television, I wept almost uncontrollably when I saw them stake Aslan out on that stone and they did everything that they could to torture him and hurt him and kill him finally, when I saw them stretch Aslan out and do everything they could, and then he comes back as a resurrected king. That's the picture I want you to have of Christmas. Christus, victor, the victorious one, the one who went into death and killed it and came back with the keys of death and Hades in his hands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have saved us from our sins, not only the pardon of it that we've done. We've all sinned. We've all failed. You've forgiven us. We have the pardon of our sin but we also are saved from the power of it. Help us to believe you that you've broken the power of the evil one and that you've disarmed them. You've destroyed the one who had the power of death that kept us, as as the writer of Hebrews says, that kept us in fear all our life. That you disarmed them. You drove this prince of this world out. That we live in a kingdom in which life and fullness reigns. Help us in this holiday season to remember what your name means and what you came to do. Christus Victor, for our sake, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen and amen. Christus Victor.